Currently in Caledonia, there is a land dispute between the six First Nations that live on the land and the Canadian government. The Grand River is located in Caledonia, as I said earlier. And right now, the six nations are fighting for the land not to be used as housing development. There has been a long history and debacle over this land. In 1784, it was decreed by Sir Frederick Hamilton 950,000 acres to the Six Nations on either side of the Grand River. Even though they were decreed to own the land, they have issues with actually using it to their benefits. In the late 1800s to 1853, there has been many cases of settlers squatting on their land. They had many petitions out to Canada to say, can you please remove these people from our lands? And then, of course, they were denied of that request. And then they were a cohort to sell the land, which they then lobbied to get it back a month later. In 1924, the Canadian government installed the Indian Act elective, which made it very difficult for Indigenous leaders to meet. And because it was illegal to meet, the RCMP stopped the reinstation of groups such as the Haudenosaunee's, which doing research, I found out meant longhouse or group of longhouse. To stop the development on the land the government has given them, the six nations have decided to stay on the property. So the developers court ordered an injunction against them, had 30 protesters already. They had um, attempted to offer their services and helps to get to the government to recognize their case. But the other people who are not of indigenous background in the Caledonia community wish to have an open dialogue to find some sort of settlement between um, the Six Nations and the developers. And to them, I say, know the history, because this is a battle of the history and present. As said earlier, from from the 1700s, they have been given this land, but not able to properly utilize it. Right now, the other communities in Caledonia only see the present, but without acknowledging what has come from the past, full justice will not be received. And they do deserve the land. The Six Nations, of course, deserve the land. They were given the land from time, doggy. And to have this land taken away from them, it's like everything that Canada has taken away. Their culture, their language, their way of life has been squashed. And slowly and slowly, a group of people feel like they're being erased from the land that they have been on before any of us has been able to come and reap the benefits of Canada. To provide a little more context on where Caledonia is, in case people don't know, it's right beside Hamilton. And as everybody knows, this 
price to live in the general Toronto area is very expensive. So if you can find a place in somewhere outside of the city, like a 43 or 40 minute drive, like in Branton, where you can commute to get a car, have get the bus is perfect for people who work in the city. So obviously having a housing development in Caledonia where prices will be lower will financially help a lot of people out. But it just comes down to ethically, how do you see it? The fact that it wasn't until protesters went on the developer's land where they started to say, "Okay, this is how we can help. This is where we can give back after, of course, being on your land as you are the landowners. But that never happened before. And so now I think reprimands must be made. Let them keep the land, Canada. Let the Six Nations keep their land. Hello, hello, everyone, to the 27th podcast of Alternative Talks. I think I've actually got the number now. Maybe it'll just be a reoccurring joke that I just get it wrong. But either who, hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the podcast once again and always i will be your host selecta sarah and once again and always it is such a privilege and an honor to be speaking to you guys behind the mic today is going to be a very fun episode because i can actually use what i've been learning in school and apply it to real life situations And this is the second time we talked about Daniel Caesar. The first time was with his first album, Freudian, and that was with The Loose. And then now it's with the second album, Case Study Number One. But enough of me rambling, let's jump right into the podcast. So as stated earlier, today's song will be Frontal Lobe Music from the album Case Study One. And on the song is Daniel Caesar and you'll hear Pharrell. It was written by Matthew Burnett, Jordan Evans, Sean Leon, Chad Hugo, Pharrell, and Daniel Caesar and was released on June 19th, 2019. If you listen closely, I'm pretty sure you can hear Sean Leon background vocals and I definitely did hear this maybe because I don't know the song but they sampled and inserted pieces from Usher's Seduction. In the album, Daniel dives into his philosophical explorations, which is reflected so nicely as in the song Frontal Low Music, there's new age synths and beliefs. You can tell that there's been trap influences that have been very popular throughout this generation. In just a position to the new age sounds influenced in Frontal Low Music, the R&B singer remains true to his roots as he questions and decides that he wants to venture out into the unknown. But as he explores his new philosophical ideas and sees where he wants to go further with it, is it possible that Daniel is moving further from the point of his discovery made in the last album? As I was reading reviews for Case Study, a lot of the news outlets mentioned how this album is the antithesis of the humility and tenderness seen in Freudian. 
though it really depends on Daniel Caesar's own views on what actual discovery is and if he feels like he's moving towards somewhere that makes him more enlightened but as a general consensus as a society it will be most likely that if you were to move to that humility standpoint we would recognize that more as a enlightened thought either direction this is an example of how daniel caesar is processing his life based on his values and new insights and how his view has changed the world based on what he has experienced and when he's doing all this contemplation he is using his frontal lobe the frontal lobe consists of the primary motor cortex which controls the body and the premotor cortex which gives commands so in the primary motor cortex you think about what you want to do and the premotor cortex executes them it also has the prefrontal cortex which helps people set and achieve their goals that takes information from multiple regions of the brain and adapts accordingly it also provides and contributes to a wide variety of executive functions including focusing one's attention monitoring one's attention and selecting now i didn't mention all the areas of the frontal frontal lobe i only mentioned the areas that have would have the most associated association with the music and how we react when we listen to it so your brain in terms of music music will affect all areas and particularly in the frontal lobe the motor cortex or the primary motor cortex as we says controls your body's movement so best believe when you hear that good tune you want to dance to your premotor cortex is reacting to that sensation under ultrasonic inspection we can see that there's a stronger connection between the auditory area of the brain and the emotion area we see that fibers connecting these two regions are more prominent when examined under um, the ultrasonic conditions and this once again shows that the, the emotional connection with music and how it's manifested within the brain connectivity in the song frontal lobe music pharrell tells the listeners that we need to process and monitor our emotions and from what we dived into the brain we can see where um, in the frontal lobe area and the prefrontal cortex how um, we're monitoring our attention can lead to monitoring our emotions and watching our cycle and how we react to things. Now, if music has such a strong connection to our emotional processing, is it possible that when we listen to music, it could help us be more aware of our emotional state of mind? Mostly if we're listening to music that is reflective of the state that we're in, I definitely think so. And if, if we look at ways music can amplify such a message songwriters producers composers can employ many tactics to amplify such emotions and music there's this thing called word painting when in the example swing low the sound of low matches the note the singer sings and when it gets to the part 
coming forward to carry me home. They say as it increases the pitch, it's to refer as the ascension or ascension to the heavenlies. There is harmonic syntax, which can apply or go against text meaning slash lyrics. This is where the chord progression mimics the text or the overall meaning of the song. And the example it gave, they said you can leave the chord progression harmonically open, just as in the text, you see that the singer ends off with a question, which echoes the undecidedness of the singer. In research done, they found that people as they listen to the same song over time they associate the greater meaning of the song with the instrumental behind it they took a popular song and changed the background music to it and asked participants how they felt they did the same thing with the original song and they found over time as they played the song with the unidentified background that they started to have familiar um, emotive patterns come up from the two songs. You can look at acoustic cues found in the singer's voice that mimic um, musical performances. If you were to look in listen to the orchestra as they're producing something that's supposed to be terrifying. In the research the study did, it said that um, singers mimic the same type of vocal patterns found in these performances. These are all examples of linguistic and musical properties of music and how it can reinforce the emotion in both areas. And in turn strengthens the emotive meeting we gathered from the song which leads me to the question that i posted on instagram i'm not sure if you guys saw it in the captions but i asked what was the reason why or and which scenarios do you listen to music in the emotion that you have currently or the emotion that you want to get and then that got me thinking about like popular plays on YouTube and from my experience when I had a friendship and I listened to a bunch of breakup music in a way that it strengthened me to help get through that time. I believe that these playlists are so popular because it helps us recognize the emotions that we're going through and helps us process and put a healthy amount of attention to getting our goal of feeling better. And maybe that's why Daniel Caesar and Pharrell want to listen to frontal low music, music that helps them process the emotions that they're feeling, music that is the emotions that they're feeling. Music that gives you the chills after you relate to it so hard because of the state that you're in and helps you process the emotions that you're going through as you identify with the singer as they change their voice to reflect the meaning found in the musical instrumentation. Bob Marley once said, the good thing about music is when it hits you, you feel no pain. Though sometimes the emotions 
derived can rival your own and it could feel like an overabundance. In the end, it could lead to a cathartic journey where you use your prefrontal cortex to properly monitor and manage your emotions. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, for listening to the 27th podcast of Alternative Talks. Once again and always, I was your host, Selecta Sarah. And once again and always, it was such a pleasure to speak behind the mic with you guys and bring out topics such as linguistics, the brain, and how it works. So I hope you all enjoyed it and you enjoy the rest of the day, no matter what time it is. I will see you guys on the next one. Bye.